Well, good morning. It's good to see you on this great day the Lord has given us, and I look forward uh, to our time together in God's Word. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18 today. James 3, 13 through 18. We're about halfway through the book of James, give or take a few. Uh, Lord willing, I'll be traveling to, uh, with uh, several others this week, traveling to Moldova on Friday for a week plus a few days, um, short-term mission trip, and so I know that you will be well cared for in the coming weeks. Pastor Jeremy will be preaching next week, and then our brother Stephen Mason will be preaching the week after, continuing uh, through the book of James with you, and that will be a great time in God's Word. James chapter 3, we'll beginning in verse 13. I want to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word today. James chapter 3, verse 13. This is the word of the Lord inspired by the Holy Spirit. James writes, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray together. Father, would you give us vision? Would you give us sight? Would you give us understanding? And would you give us wisdom? For Lord, we need it. And we need to honor you as we seek it and as we seek to apply it. And so Father, for that, we ask your help. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We seem to be a culture growing more and more aware of the need to live healthy lives. Whether it's counting your steps with your Fitbit, being willing to splurge a bit more at the grocery store for grass-fed beef, hitting the street or road with that daily run or heading down to the gym, we are an increasingly health-conscious people. So let's do a poll. It's polling season, why not do one here today? How many of you count your steps? You got a Fitbit or something to the equivalent, count your steps. Raise your hand, keep them raised. All right, this is gonna be awesome. We're gonna be charismatic this morning. Everybody's got their hands raised. I knew I could get you to do it one way or the other. Keep your hands up. How many of you count calories? Keep your hands up. Keep, no, you you Fitbit people, keep your hands up. Calories, count calories. How many of you do some form of regular exercise? I always tell my kids I do sit-ups every day. I sit up in the morning, lay right back down at night. So do a sit-up every day. Keep your hands up. Hands up, all right. How many of you are frustrated that you don't do any of these things? Raise your hand. All right, that's what I figured. We're an increasingly health-conscious people. Physical health matters. That growing physically and strengthening our bodies matters. And, And... and certainly important, even though we can take those pursuits of good health to an unhealthy extreme, by and large, it's a good thing to pay attention to our health, isn't it? It's a good thing to be stewards of our bodies. Now, 
we won't do a poll, but if I were to ask you to raise your hands to this question, how many of us who just raised our hands spend just as much time or more as concerned about our walk with Jesus? About the time that we spend in God's word? About practicing the spiritual disciplines? On and on we can go. You see, a true Christian will always be concerned with his or her spiritual health. Ah, but the question is, well, pastor, how do we know we're spiritually healthy? Just like there are indicators or signs of someone's physical health, I mean, you can weigh yourself, right? You can check your blood pressure or your cholesterol. There are, there are objective ways for you to analyze or examine your physical health or strength. How do we tell if we're spiritually healthy? Glad you asked. James has been instructing us and continues even now in chapter three, verse 13 through 18 in signs or indicators of what it means to be spiritually healthy. In chapter two, he talks about how a genuinely healthy faith is characterized by good works, right? Faith without works is dead. It's null and void. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but yet never live like Jesus, never do good works in in your growth in grace, then you're not demonstrating, you're not showing signs that you're spiritually alive, much less spiritually healthy. James 2, faith and good works. In the first part of chapter three, last week we looked at the use of the tongue as an indicator, as a sign of whether or not we are spiritually healthy. The way that we use our sign, our, our tongues, is a sign of what's true in our hearts. And now this morning we come to the last part of chapter three. The verses we have before us today are yet another way for us to evaluate our lives, whether or not they're spiritually healthy. And the way that we would see that in our text today is what kind of wisdom do you seek and apply in your life? What kind of wisdom do you seek? James asks the question, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show this. Let him indicate this. Let him prove this. He says, by good behavior, by his good behavior, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom, the meekness of wisdom. You see, just like our weight or blood pressure or cholesterol, just like those things say something about our physical condition, the wisdom, the kind of wisdom that we pursue and the kind of wisdom that we apply are, is an indication of our spiritual condition. And here in James 3, he talks about that. In fact, he talks about that not so much as he seeks to define wisdom for us. He doesn't give us a nice, clean, polished definition of here's wisdom properly defined, but what he does do is he says, here's wisdom properly described. He shows us what godly wisdom looks like in contrast to earthly or worldly or ungodly wisdom. So it's very helpful. He contrasts earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, godly wisdom, ungodly wisdom. In other words, James examines both true and false wisdom and he concludes 
how he concludes that how you live, how you live your life, the decisions you make, the things you say, the way you act, the things you do, he concludes that how you live says a lot about the kind of wisdom you seek in your life. And more importantly, the kind of wisdom you seek and apply says much about the health and condition of your soul. That's what we wanna look at this morning. We wanna consider and contrast these two kinds of wisdom and we then want to, by the grace of God and by the help of the Holy Spirit, begin to examine our own hearts. That's what Paul says, he says, examine yourselves, right? Examine yourselves. Test whether or not to see if you're even in the faith. And so we want to test ourselves. We want to examine ourselves and we want to consider this morning what kind of wisdom are we pursuing? And as we begin to evaluate that, what does that say about the health of our own soul? So we have two points today. Worldly wisdom, earthly wisdom. That was easy, wasn't it? Worldly wisdom, earthly wisdom. We want to look at those two. Let's begin as we consider and contrast these two kinds of wisdom so that we can examine our lives, let's look first at worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom, you could call it earthly wisdom, you could call it ungodly wisdom, false wisdom. Whatever word you like the best, just put it there in the blank. Worldly wisdom. James begins by saying, who is wise among you? Who is wise among you? You know, there are, there are many ways that, humanly speaking, we can judge one's wisdom, or we, we try to anyway. And we, we can often say, well, we base, we base the, the, the wisdom of someone based upon their education level. Or we might base someone's wisdom on the kind of role they play at their job. We might base someone's wisdom on who they're voting for in the election. We might base someone's wisdom on how well they're doing in fantasy football. On and on we could go. You know, we have all of these kind of categories and criteria that we use to examine and, and, and try to pick out and, and determine whether or not someone's truly wise. I don't think that, that James is saying, he, he's saying that. He's, he's not saying, here's criteria to see if one's wise or not. What he's saying is that everyone pursues wisdom. Wisdom is not just intellect or knowledge, it is the knowledge you have applied to life. Wisdom is very practical. When, when we think biblically about wisdom, it's what you do with the things you know. It's what you do with the things you know. And so James is not saying, well, well do you have wisdom or not? He's saying, no, you have wisdom, just what kind do you have? And he begins here with worldly wisdom. After he poses the question in verse 13, he says in verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that is from above. As we consider this false wisdom that James helps us to consider, we need to consider three facts about it. And we're gonna consider the same three facts about godly wisdom. Its source, its behavior, its result. We're gonna look at those three things under worldly wisdom. We're gonna look at those three things under um, Heavenly wisdom, godly wisdom. So let's look first at the source of worldly wisdom. The first thing that we note about this false wisdom, this worldly wisdom, is that it is not from above. It's not from God. It's not something that God gives. Instead, it's earthly, unspiritual, or natural, and demonic. First, he says it's earthly. 
See it there in the text. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly. This word can be taken to mean something inferior or weak compared to that which is heavenly. Such wisdom is limited to this world and has many times no place or time for the things of God. Earthly wisdom, seeking wisdom from the things of this earth, from the things of this world, and not seeking wisdom from God and his truth. Next, he calls it unspiritual or natural. Sometimes it's translated. It could also be taken to be selfish, since here the idea is is an emphasis of someone who does not have the spirit of God living in them. This is someone void of the spirit, unspiritual, meaning lacking the spirit, or they're just natural. They're left to themselves. Paul helps us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, where he says this about the natural person. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, one who is unspiritual, one who is marked by the wisdom of this world is one who is unspiritual, lacking the spirit. He's not some person that's, that's accepting the things of the spirit of God. The things of the spirit of God, the things of God are foolishness. Why would I listen to God? What does he know? This kind of wisdom is directed more by human feeling and human reason than anything else. And then third, he says it's demonic. Do you see what James says? He doesn't say the wisdom that, he says, speaking of worldly wisdom, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly or unspiritual or demonic. No, he's, he's using all three words to describe the same thing. It's earthly, it's unnatural or unspiritual, and, and it's demonic. All three of these, these words describe the wisdom of this world. Influenced by demons. You compare that to what James said about the tongue back in chapter three, verse uh, six, there at the end of verse six, where he talks about the tongue is set on fire by hell. So to sum it up, one neat phrase that we probably have all heard at some point or another, we could summarize that false wisdom finds its source in the world, the flesh, and the devil. All three are the source. But how does this wisdom behave? Second point under the worldly wisdom. Okay, the source is it comes from the world, the flesh, the devil. All of these are contributing factors to this wisdom. What does it look like? How does it behave? And James begins in verse 14 by describing this false wisdom and how it behaves. He, He says, he asked the question in verse 13, who is wise? And then he says, by your good conduct, prove yourself in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition... Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. Two marks, not the only two, but two significant marks of a worldly wisdom, a, two ways that worldly wisdom behaves is demonstrated through bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Ambition. 
Bitter jealousy. This word here translated jealous is actually the word for zeal. Zeal. It can have a range of meaning from strong enthusiasm and concern to jealousy or envy. And since James here uses this word bitter jealousy, he, he's describing this kind of jealousy by using the word bitter and then couples it with selfish ambition, we can see why jealous is a fitting translation. To be jealous is to be zealous for oneself. To be jealous is to be zealous for oneself. But then he uses this phrase selfish ambition. The idea here is personal gratification at any cost. Extreme selfishness. John MacArthur said this, there is nothing more characteristic of fallen, unredeemed men than being dominated by self. There is nothing more characteristic of fallen, unredeemed men than being dominated by self. Selfish ambition marks a person that is determined to find self-fulfillment at any cost. No matter the harm or damage or destruction it leaves behind. And he concludes that such people marked by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition will boast in this. They're arrogant about this. A man's character marked by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition shows us something significant about the person and specifically about the kind of wisdom this person is seeking. Someone who is continually selfish and regularly selfish and seeking them, them, their selves above all else is someone who is reflecting the wisdom of this world. These traits are not always to see, they're not, they're not always easy to see from our own eyes, are they? But someone else, having a pair of eyes outside of our, ourselves looking, looking, looking at us and helping us see, they, they see it a whole lot easier than we do. You know, false wisdom is not always easy to detect, but its fruit is undeniable. You need to get that. False wisdom is not always easy to detect, especially in our own hearts. But the fruit of it is undeniable. It will find you out. The wisdom you seek will be evident in how you act and how you live your life. Friends, it would be wise for us to examine our own hearts today in light of this truth where there might be the fruit of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts, indicators that we've bought into some form of false wisdom. Friends, surely you would, you would not be here today and, and say, well, I, I, I never struggle with bitter jealousy or selfish ambition. For we, all, we, we know all of us struggle with that. We know there are moments of, of selfishness and pride that, that sometimes they don't just creep in, it just comes announcing itself quite loudly. To some degree, all of us struggle with that, and, and to some degree, all of us have bought into some kind of earthly, worldly wisdom that, that prioritizes self above all else. 
Friends, do you look out for your own interest before you look out to the interest of others? Do other people easily irritate you? Do you find more pleasure when you're doing your own thing? Do you often think to yourself, I deserve this. I've worked hard all day. I deserve to recline. I deserve this shopping spree. Do you ever think that? I will take care of myself first. I must have this at all costs. There's all kinds of ways this, this manifests itself in our lives. But friends, think about, think about this. James is writing this letter to Christians. Christians likely gathering in local congregations. Think about when this plays itself out in the context of a local church. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition present in the church. And it's the opposite of everything the gospel produces. Bitterness, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, when it is present in the local church, can do much harm and cause much damage. What about its result? James goes on to say that such wisdom, wisdom results in disorder and every vile practice. Well, that's not surprising when you have a lot of people living out lives marked by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. When you have a lot of people seeking to live their lives for themselves and not interested in serving others, it's, it's, it's no surprise that we have chaos, right? It's, it's disorder in every vile practice. Just look at the world. Just look at the world. We're to be in the world but not of the world. So there's always elements of the world that are influencing us, and this is part of the point of this sermon, is to see how much of the world is, is creeping into our, our hearts and our lives and, and seeking to lead us in its way and not the way of God. But friends, you just look at the world, and it is marked by selfish ambition. You just drive down the road, and selfish ambition is all over the place. Being cut off. I sure hope you're not some of those people that go in that right lane when people are turning left. That's illegal. Highly frustrating. Everybody repents. Thank you. Just, just look at the, just driving. Driving alone is a manifestation of how selfish we are at times. Conflicts and fights. We're gonna look at more of this Next week, as you look at chapter four, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Friends, it's not the other person. Sorry, Jeremy, I'm giving your sermon away. You might wanna look in the mirror for that one. Conflicts and fights often erupting. It's ruined many a marriage. It's damaged many a relationship between parents and children. It's caused conflicts at work and other places that make it difficult to relate. And friends, when it takes place in the context of a local church, it will ruin the credibility of the local church's witness. And in the eyes of the world, minimize that congregation's impact and effectiveness. 
writer of Proverbs in chapter one, verse seven, says the beginning of the beginning of uh, the wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Then he goes on to say, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise it. What about heavenly wisdom? We've seen a little bit about God or ungodly wisdom or worldly wisdom. What about heavenly wisdom? In contrast to the false worldly wisdom, what we see is James now brings to light true heavenly wisdom. He, he helps us to see it so that we can walk through the marks of heavenly wisdom using the same categories that we just looked at with worldly wisdom. It source, its behavior, its result. And so as we've looked at the source, behavior, and result of worldly, ungodly wisdom, we want to do the same with, with heavenly, righteous wisdom. So let's look at this. Its source. Where does it come from? This is easy. Yes, God. It comes from above. True wisdom finds its source in God. And this wisdom, friends, is worth seeking. It is God-given. Remember, James exhorts us in chapter one, verse five. He says, let him ask God who gives generously, referring to wisdom. Friends, it matters much about, it matters much where you go for the source of wisdom. It's not a matter of whether or not you're pursuing wisdom. All of us are. It's just a matter of where you're going to get it. And here James says, true wisdom finds its source in God. Where are you seeking wisdom? What about its behavior? Again, he's making a clear contrast. You see in verse 17, he says, but. So he's just described what earthly, ungodly, false wisdom looks like. And then he says, but. Those conjunctions, but, B-U-T, in the Bible are helpful. Because it begins to now contrast or begins to now help us see something in reference to what he's already said. And this is a contrast. But the wisdom from above, from God, is this, and he begins to describe seven or eight qualities of godly wisdom. Now, we need to understand what godly wisdom is. Godly wisdom is not something we pursue in order to get ahead in life or somehow achieve success in the eyes of the world. I'm not saying it's unimportant, to achieve success, you should be successful as, as much as you can. Godly wisdom, though, has everything to do with how we develop and display a godly character before a watching world. You can be the most successful business professional on the face of the planet and be lost. In Tennessee, we lost as a goose. I don't know what that means, but not in a good shape. You're lost. So how do we know if we're pursuing and applying godly wisdom? He helps us to see it here in verses 17 and 18. Let's think about this. Every time you speak or do something, every time you speak or do something, and maybe even not doing anything, maybe just idleness, every time we speak or do something, we have an opportunity to demonstrate the kind of wisdom that drives us. It's a big deal. Every time your mouth opens, James 3, 1 through 12, 
And every time you do something, James 3, 13 through 18, you are demonstrating what kind of wisdom influences and drives you. Every single time, every single time. That's huge. You say, well, I want to be one who pursues godly wisdom. If that's true, then by all means, as a follower of Jesus, I want the wisdom from above to mark my life. What does that look like? Here we go. One, it's pure. A wisdom that is pure is one of the, that is free from spiritual defect. It is unmixed with anything worldly or demonic and remains singularly focused on the Lord. 17, the wisdom from above is first pure. Friends, if such wisdom is pure, then some, someone who's marked by heavenly wisdom will be a person who is free from the moral defects that is characteristic of this fallen world. John, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But... We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then notice what John says. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That is one of the great, I think one of the, one of the most helpful small phrases that summarizes the Christian life in one little, one little phrase. Everyone who thus hopes in him, here's the gospel, if you find your hope in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and to be made right with God, if you've done that, you're purified. You're cleansed. And so if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, this is the good news that is available to you. That if you, before a holy God, understand yourself to be condemned and unclean and, and, and marked by, by sin, just like the rest of us, we, we, we're under a curse because of our rebellion against a holy, perfect creator. If you realize that, yes, I'm under a curse and I deserve the right judgment of God upon me because of my rebellion and sin against my creator, I'm in a mess and there's nothing I can do to get myself out of this mess because it doesn't matter how good I try to be, it, it's never enough because God demands perfection. What do I do? You call out upon the name of Jesus, friends, because God so loved the world that he was willing to give his only begotten son that whoever, whosoever would believe in him, whoever would thus hope in him, John says there, would be forgiven, would have everlasting life. Friends, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus and you realize today you're a sinner before God and you know that things are not well with you, friends, cry out to Jesus, hope in him, and you'll be purified. Everyone who does hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. So if you've hoped in Christ, your life then will begin to take a, a radical change and begin to look more and more like Jesus every single day. We call that sanctification. Simply put, it means you grow as a Christian. You begin to reflect righteousness and holiness more and more throughout your life. Friend, is that you? Have you trusted in Christ and is that proven, is that evident by the way that you Seek to purify your life. You've been purified once and for all in Christ to be made right with God, but are you seeking to purify your life as you seek to put on righteousness and put off unrighteousness? That matters. 
Purity begins with having placed your hope in Christ and therefore results in a life that pursues purity. Matthew 5, verse 8, Jesus says there in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in hearts, for they shall see God. By the way, many times James has been described as kind of a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. It's amazing how, how close James tracks with Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And so here you'll actually see several of the Beatitudes kind of referred to here. And I think here's one of them. He's saying pure, and it's almost like he's walking through those Beatitudes as he's reflecting upon what it means to be one who pursues heavenly wisdom. You're pure. Friends, do you have a pure heart? Have you been made new in Christ and are you pursuing a life of unmixed devotion to God? Is that you? Two, someone who pursues heavenly wisdom is peaceable. They're a peacemaker. See that in verse 17, then peaceable. Someone who knows peace with God and someone who seeks to make peace with others. You know, there, there, are some, there are just some people in the world that aren't happy unless they're provoking someone to anger, right? Some people in the world that just aren't happy unless they're stirring the pot. But friend, that's not the way of the Christian. That's not the way of the believer. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We're being reminded here that heavenly wisdom leads us to be a peacemaking people, helping people be reconciled with God, to have peace with God, and then as a result of that, that horizontal, right, no, vertical peace leads to now the horizontal peace we have with others. Gentle is another mark of heavenly wisdom. Someone who is gentle is someone who is kind and willing to yield Someone who practices humble patience towards others. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil. I think we struggle with that as Christians in the United States. It's not saying be a doormat but I think we have a hard time patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Friend, are you gentle? Are you kind? If so, it's a mark of heavenly wisdom. Four, open to reason. Some translations use the word submissive. This is someone who is teachable and compliant. Friends, you're not pursuing godly wisdom if you're not teachable. That goes for all of us. If you're not willing to listen and hear and consider and respond to if it's right, you're not teachable, you're, you're not open to reason. And I'm certainly not saying you shouldn't have core convictions, we all should, we, and our, those convictions should be driven by the, by the word of God. But a wise person marked by heavenly wisdom will always be willing to examine his or her own heart, his or her own heart and beliefs and change if that's indeed what the Lord's called them to do based upon his tr revealed truth. Open to reason. Another mark of heavenly wisdom is someone who's full of mercy. Back to the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Someone who demonstrates a concern and compassion for others. The complete opposite of jealousy and selfish ambition, right? Someone who is full of mercy, demonstrating concern and compassion and care and love for others. Just look to the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. 
a great example. Someone who is full of mercy. Someone who is fruitful. Good fruits, it says. Matthew 5, verse 7. Uh, again, we see that that's blessed are the merciful. Wrong point. Fruitful. This is someone who does what I'm trying to point to you to here is James chapter 2. Someone who does good deeds. Someone who is known for doing good and modeling the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, Galatians 5. A bunch of these, by the way, track with the fruit of the Spirit as well. Are you known for good fruit? Or are you a bad apple? Seven, unwavering. This is a person who is steady and consistent. Could also be translated impartial. Someone who can be trusted to be the same no matter the circumstance. They're unwavering. And when the pressure mounts up, they stand firm. Sincere. This is someone who's not a hypocrite. You know, the story goes that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of Sherlock Holmes Mysteries, used to tell of how once he sent a telegram to each of his 12, to about 12 friends, all, all of which were men known to have great virtue and held important positions in society. The message he sent to all 12 of them simply said this, fly at once, all is discovered. And within 24 hours, the story goes, all 12 had left the country. There are so many people in the world that are not what they seem to be. And God forbid that that would ever be the case for the follower of Jesus Christ. Those who are full of godly wisdom. There's no mask. There's no secrets. You're the real deal in public and in private. In the church and at work. Friends, people marked by godly wisdom are clearly set apart from the world. Their motives, their attitudes, their behavior are reflected, uh, reflect the character of God. And we see that here in these, in these seven or eight qualities. But what about the results? What does it result in? Look at verse 18. James says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Friends, righteousness cannot be sown where bitter jealousy and selfish ambition exist. A harvest of righteousness will not be sown where worldly wisdom is at play. The more that we are marked by the wisdom of the world and false wisdom and ungodly wisdom, the world, the flesh, the devil, the more that that is our influencer and influencing factor in our life, the, the more that is the source from which we draw our opinions and our behaviors and our actions and decisions, the more disorder and every vile practice will be prominent. But friends, the more that we pursue godly wisdom, the more that we pursue heavenly wisdom, the more we will be sowing a harvest of righteousness and peace. Friends, are you, are you sowing a, a harvest that leads to chaos and destruction or, or are you serving and sowing a harvest of peace 
in righteousness. As we think about these things, and we could spend a lot of time, even as we just walk through those characteristics. Perhaps you'll want to do that in your home groups this week, but let me just close with this. Let me just ask you, friends. I'm asking you to consider your own heart. How is your health? And I'm not talking about your blood pressure. How are you spiritually? How is your health doing regarding your own soul? Or James would ask it this way. Who is wise among you? Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, who is wise among you? Who among you is wise and understanding? If you claim to be such a person, then by your good conduct, show your works in the meekness of wisdom. Demonstrate it by how you live out your life. Friends, Proverbs 4 verse 7 says this, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. That was easy, wasn't it? The beginning of wisdom is this. Get it. Obtain it. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Friends, we are called to get wisdom. But make sure you get the right kind. Make sure you get the right kind. Because there are different kinds and they lead in radically different directions. Do you have the wisdom that is from above? Friends, who among you is wise and understanding? Who among you has that wisdom from above? We don't need a raise of hands. We just need faithful lives that prove it. Friends, we will all be seeking one kind of wisdom or another. We simply need to make sure we're going to the right source, bearing the right fruit, and reaping the right results. And only by God's grace can we do that to his glory. Let's pray. Father, we do recognize our tendency to neglect heavenly wisdom. Father, it's, it's true that even as Christians, that our lives oftentimes are more reflective of the world than of heaven. Father, would you search and try our hearts even now? Would you help us to see where we have been pursuing a wisdom of this world, resulting in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, resulting in chaos and destruction and every vile practice? God, would you help us? For we know that we do not seek you as we ought. And that there are many times in which we find ourselves succumbing to the pressures of the world, the flesh and the devil, and, and that we are fool, fool, fools before you. 
God, would you forgive us? Would you help us to see? Would you help us to not only see, but God, to repent? Father, would you help us to see the joy and delight that is to be known in pursuing godly wisdom? A wisdom that is reflective of hearts that have been born again. God, it is true that the beginning of wisdom is that we would get it. So Lord, would you help us to get it from the right place and to reflect it faithfully and to sow a harvest of righteousness and peace where we go. God, we need your help for this, for we can't do it on our own. We thank you for reminding us of this, for instructing us in it, and for giving us the power and ability to live it. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.